Welcome back to the program. We're going to begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you and praise you for all of the ways that you love us and take care of us, that you bless us. And Lord, I just ask in this Advent season that we would look forward to your coming. Lord, just give us that grace to be open to your coming into our lives, your breaking into our lives. Lord, give us that sense of expectant faith, Lord. Just give us that sense of the readiness that you have to come in and take over. I pray, Lord, especially for those that are a little bit downcast or overwhelmed by life um, today. I ask, Lord, that you would truly uh, just draw close to them with comfort and consolation. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Carrie, I can't remember the phrase. That's too bad. We were at the basketball game, though, and it was a pretty exciting game. So I, I'm going to say that I was, uh, I've got a reason <laughs> for missing it. For not uh, remembering? Not remembering. Either that, or I think I'm just getting old. How I many think times that have you said be... to me, I think, you know, uh, you're getting senile or getting Alzheimer's or something. And that's not a joke, but it's a uh, uh, senility does actually run in my family. I know that you've always remembered everything. And I'm always asking you for like input and then. When you can't remember these words, I'm like, uh-oh. You know what I can't remember nowadays? Which is so odd. D- don't Just don't say, I can't remember. Okay? <laughs> that would be your humor. Uh-huh. <laughs> when I go to a store, I can't remember where I parked my car. Now, that's weird. I know. Really? Yes. H- how do you... Like, always. So, like for I me... I have to make a mental map or an image or I have to capture, okay, don't forget, this is where you parked. Okay, so let me ask, do you have a um, like a vision uh, for where you're going to park, right? Like, so for instance, um, I, if I gave you a category of a particular driver, I bet you can figure out where they're going to park. Someone who has like a Lamborghini, where are they parking? I don't know if I see Lamborghinis well, in a okay, parking sorry. lot. <laughs> Someone <laughs> who has a really nice sports car. That's all shiny and new. Where are they parking their car if they're going to a store? And just just play along that they actually go to a store, right? They go to a mall and they go to a parking lot. Boy, you're making this hard. I, I don't. I mean, it's the your analogy. The point is, is very they tend to park away from other cars so that there's going to be no cars around them, right? So that th- their car either it won't get dented and will be easily visible so no one will be able to break into it and... They get to show it off a little bit. So, is that I, what you do if you had a Lamborghini? Is this your, I, in your dream? There are many things in my life that I will never have to worry about, and that's one of them. <laughs> nice car. <laughs> having it, even even having a nice car. Having I guess, a that nice would be car. A, yeah. Something to worry about. No, I have a, a like a white, um, like SUV. It's a mini SUV. Is that what you'd say? I think. You, uh, yeah. I mean, most Crossover, people. Uh, most people I, I don't, in this when area. I think of SUVs. I think of like a big suburban. Bigger, yeah. No, I, no. I don't think of the, our car's not that big, but um, when, when we were at Mass, yeah. <laughs> there's like eight cars that look just like mine. It's a four wheel drive. It's smaller, but it can seat anywhere from six to eight. Our seats eight, but it's not like a huge SUV. And I think it's a very comfortable car to have in area where it, where it snows a lot. Yeah, that that's why we got it. It was very practical. So there's about 18 white mini SUVs that look just like mine. It has to be the most popular type car. 
It is like it's it's kind of generic. It's look, it's color. It, yeah, I don't know why we're even talking about this. No, but, but I'll okay. tell you what helps me is the rosary hanging from nice. my mirror. That's good. You're flexing now. You're flexing. I guess your I Catholic could stuff. find my car key and like click it and then have it go beep beep. Okay, I actually had a moment. Um, we'll come back around to the car thing because I, I I do have a strategy. Why I would not forget where I parked my car? Well, you have to have. Is that my goal in mind is to park as close as possible to the front door? So <laughs> you have to find an open spot that could be in like. A number of aisles. No, I didn't say. I didn't say it has to be within a certain distance. I just said the closest spot. So, uh, because I have that focus and energy to say where's the closest spot, it's that I red. I tend to remember where it is. Oh, it's near this place where you return the car. You know, the shopping carts halfway down the the lane. That makes no sense to me. What the the strategy or the? Well, everyone tries to find the closest spot. No, that's but not true. I don't think so. What people try to far far away. <laughs> Come on. Stick to theology. <laughs> what are you talking about? You always try to find the closest spot to the door. I, I think a lot of people find the easiest spot. Oh, wait. Like the easiest Costco, and the closest not the same going, thing? If you're going to Costco, <laughs> you just take whatever spot's available. Because you, you, if you get too close to the front, you're going to get like jammed up and all that traffic and all those people with those big carts. And it's just like you'll never get out of there. So... I guess I don't always apply that strategy. Like in Costco, I'm just like looking for any open spot because I want to get in there, get my stuff and get out of there and not get, you know, jammed up near the front. So do you know that big thick red line where it says like no parking, emergency vehicles only? That is where I park. And then I just, I know where I am. You shouldn't say that online. Oh, are you going to go to confession <laughs> I now? I mean, okay. Hey, so this basketball game, um, this basketball game, um, Annalise, our seventh grader was playing and she said them something to me after the game because she has a scapular that she wears. And with like a minute left in the game, the coach of the other team pointed out the fact that he could see the brown string of our daughter's scapular. Was this his attempt to throw us off or throw I, her off? I or? don't know. So I don't odd. know. I, I, that's my speculation. But Annalise after the game said, Dad, do you realize... We did not score any points after they took away my scapular. <laughs> well, there's only five seconds left, but yeah, yeah I, I got a minute. That. It was a minute left. <laughs> Come on. I like, hey, let me get it's spiritual here. Come all on. Right, all right. Let me Go get ahead. spiritual. That's oh, well, well, I just liked it. And it actually got me thinking. And I'm like, well, I want my daughter to wear a scapular more than I want her to be in a basketball game. So I'm like, all right, we have to find a way to like sew like a little pocket on the inside of your you know, uniform so that you can wear your scapular. Um, so that's what, that's where my mind went. How do I, how do I allow that to be able to happen? So, I think it's sweet that she associated the two. Yeah. Like I didn't score and I had to take off my Yeah, step. I think that that was, it was really neat. Uh, it was a, like a sense of like, it, this is a meaningful thing to her that she wears a scapular. And you know, that, I, I brought it up for that reason, Carrie, the, uh, I mean, you know, the idea that she didn't score because of that. I mean, come on. But the idea that, she had a meaningful connection to the scapular. That's not something you just take for granted, right? That when that can happen, it's a great way of fostering a concrete sense of faith, right? The beautiful gift of our Catholic faith is that it has a sacramental dimension, meaning that the Lord uses the things of that he has created, the stuff of creation, to be 
a means of conveying blessings and graces and like like the sacraments, right? They, there's the use of the physical and the material to communicate the spiritual. I really do like that. Yeah, and I, so... I really do appreciate that about our faith. It's so different than the Protestant faith in that we have not just the scapular, but, you know, you pray masses or offer masses for people or you can do novenas for people or you can do... I mean... It's a type of prayer, so you pray for each other, of course, but there's something about the oils and the the statues and the the holy water in your home. I mean, there's just like this material well w- way in which you can bring your faith into the home that I would definitely miss if I had, you know, not that background in faith. Yeah, I well, when we stop and say, like, for instance, we just finished the month of November. Uh, there are so many areas where the Catholic faith has a richness that I feel sad for other Christians who lack that richness. So for instance, in November, what is that dedicated to? The Holy Souls. And so... I did not know that. So, well, the... Well, <laughs> Just All like Saints point Day, out. All Souls Day, come on. Praying for uh, the souls in purgatory. Well, isn't it the readings at Mass are about judgment, hell, yeah, d- death? Yeah, death, judgment, heaven, hell, the last okay. four things, the four last things. I did know that. Yeah. So it's, uh, but if you think about that, that's all in some ways connected to the four last things for someone, right? This is an individual thing as well as a general thing that comes at the end of time. But for each of us, death, judgment, heaven, and hell are personal realities, right? Hopefully we avoid hell. Um, and and these are things that we will go through individually. So, um, but, it, but the idea of you can pray for loved ones who have died. How consoling is that? That you can have a sense of the Lord saying, I'm here, I'm with you. I am uh, connecting you to your loved ones whom you've lost from view. You know what I'd like even more, Tom, is when, well, maybe not more, but in the sadness of, in the grieving of losing someone that you always say this, that theologically they are looking down from heaven or from where they are loving us more perfectly and more fully than when they were on earth. And that to me just sounds so striking. I guess because we're in such a, like an earthly, fleshly, like limited space of being on earth that we do not understand or cannot comprehend the grandeur of of the supernatural of heaven of what's beyond except from stories we hear of those who've been there and come back (laughs) and um it's just so comforting to know that those who've gone beyond are looking down on us are interceding for us are still part of the body of christ that it's not just just end and then you head off to the next place but it's a continuation yeah, and uh, theologically, there's a beautiful way that that gets described in, guess what? St. Thomas Aquinas' Summa Theologica. This is how he says it. Guess what? Guess is what? It, is it a doctor? I what, what should I is it a Bible verse? I'm not really sure which doctor to go to. <laughs> Here we go. Let's go. No, it's um, this is really beautiful. When he talks about the intercession of the saints, he says that the Father created all things in the Word in his son, who is the word of God, the second person of the Trinity, the word, right? So creation and God said, let there be light. And there was light. So all things exist in the word. Now what we, 
when we die, we go to heaven. And remember, what is heaven? The beatific vision. And when you gaze upon God, you're gazing upon God as encountered in the Son, right? Because when we're baptized, we're baptized into Christ, right? Head in the body, bridegroom and bride, right? Are you tracking with me here? I'm thinking. You're thinking, okay. So think of this idea that says um, the fact that our loved ones see us and pray for us isn't like this. It's not like... Oh, let's gaze upon the throne of God, and there's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and here we are in heaven, and now we have to kind of turn and look down through the clouds, down away from God. Somehow we're turning away from God to look down upon earth to see the things that are happening down there. And see like they don't see. have intercessory hour. Hey, everyone, it's yeah, time okay, to pray for all those stop, poor. Put down the, put down the harps. <laughs> Put down the, the songbooks, okay? And, and now we're going to start interceding. But rather, all things are seen in the Word. So That's as beautiful. the saints and as our loved ones are gazing upon God, gazing upon the Father through, with, and in the Son, the Son will unveil to us the world which is created in the word. So you're not looking away from God to see the world. You're looking into God. You're looking into the word. And in that word is creation. And you can see your loved ones. I, I just love this idea that Jesus, who's created us and created us as part of a certain family tree, connected us to certain loved ones, gives us that beautiful grace, that pleasure, that gift of being able to be connected with those loved ones in heaven, gazing upon them on earth, but in heaven. Is that is that based on the scripture, the word was with God? And... Uh, in the beginning was the, the beginning, word, and the yeah. word was with God, and the word was God. Yeah. Is that where... That's it, John 1, 1, right? Is, is that where this is all coming from? Um, that's it's called high Christology. It's focused on Jesus as the logos, L-O-G-O-S, the Word in Greek, and um, and so it has that uh, many many meanings or connotations to it. And so yes, in the Gospel of John, you'll find references to Christ as the source of all creation. So you'll see it in um, Colossians chapter one, in Ephesians chapter one. You'll see it in John chapter one that you just quoted as well. Well, I was struck when you said that when we look to the Father in heaven, that in Him, in His in the Word, yes, not like in His being, not in His. So in the divine nature, right? So there's one divine nature shared perfectly, infinitely, equally by the three divine persons. Now we've stumbled into the greatest of all mysteries here, <laughs> and you're... we're up against a break. <laughs> Darn it. Isn't that good timing? Perfect timing. All right. We'll be back in a minute on Sound Insight. Hey, welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. And I just have one word for you, Carrie. Word. <laughs> don't don't like young people say that? Is that a, was that a thing? I don't know, but the way you flexed your Come hand. On, was... That was good. I, I did like the peace <laughs> sign. To, I guess, is it you're supposed to do it sideways or, or down? Like peace out and you kind of bump your chest? I have no idea. Come on. I know that the the bumping is, is out. What about the, um? Not, I've heard these kids say, our kids have said no cap. Is that, what does that mean? I don't know. No capitals. Like you don't. Okay. This is my guess. 
like no cap means don't capitalize it. So when you text someone and you put it in caps, it's like sending. Oh, a certain, that's what it's refer. You're telling me. I have me no idea. I'm just making that this up. like, it, like chat language. What what is chat language even called? It's not, it's not emojis. It's a I don't know. texting. So texting. Yeah, when you do all caps, I could look it up right it's now. It's a it's a way of emphasizing or yelling. So no cap. Is a way of oh wow that's really interesting I don't know exactly what it I means I don't still, but even know if that's I like it. the reference I'm gonna go actually I'll Google it even as we're talking here so but I get, was go ahead you I do your sure thing is. I'm gonna look up no cap okay what, what's my thing I don't even know if I I just want to say this I've been a little snarky with you as I'm reflecting self reflecting on our little show here um, because you asked me to come on and be a helper to you and I do it willingly because of how hard you work. And because I love you, but um, I don't mean to be snarky, like hurtful. Do, do I come across hurtful to you? Like I think sometimes it's a little abrasive. Well, I'm going to tell you the no cap. Okay, <laughs> as I'm sharing, no this cap thing. means not lying. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> See, I told you I wasn't was even good. sure what I was talking about, but it I sounded think that good. makes sense. No cap means yeah. This yeah, I'm telling you the truth. Then it's, why would you say no cap? What's the word cap even? No capitalization. Oh. Yeah. So oh. you're not trying to deceive. I, I, do you want me to open know. up the link and no. actually study it? I just <laughs> I just read the little description, Carrie. How are we mixing this in with talking about heaven? This God. is just so odd. This is good. I like this. <coughs> okay, I'm going to cough. We have been sick for a few days. so That's actually why you're here, is that I'm so tired and sick that I, I'm like, Carrie, I need some help. I need some support. Um, but this is actually a beautiful theology. I'm going to link the Theology of the Trinity to Advent to finding a parking spot. Okay. <laughs> no, I told you. Carrie, no, there's a reason. All right. Let me get the popcorn. <laughs> no, there's a reason for this. Like, okay, so I started with this idea. Do you have a strategy for, um, like, when you arrive at a place where you're going to park? Because you said, I forget where I park. And I want to just immediately link that to, here we are in Advent, and people have forgotten how to enter into Advent. People have forgotten, like, what's the meaning of Christmas? And so it's like, you forget where you're parking. It's like, why am I going here? Why am I doing all this? That's so good. That's so good. So um, I think that so many people, we've just lost the meaning of Advent and of Christmas. So, okay, now let's circle around and talk about the Trinity. So we talked about this idea that um, we have the Father as creator. The Son is in the create. He is the one in whom things are, all things have been created, but he is the redeemer. And then we have the Holy Spirit, the sanctifier, right? And this is actually connected to three fundamental moments in our lives as disciples. And watch now, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. So the first one is about the Father who's created us. Think of that concept of the moment in which we discover the reality that it's all a gift. Our lives are a gift that you, in your most fundamental identity, are a gift from the Father to the Son. God the Father, the eternal, infinite one, said, I have a gift for you, Son. And that gift the Father gives to the Son is you. That's who you are. That's your identity. right? And, we, and, and so you hear me always talk about the gift quality. right? When you can know that irreplaceable dignity that is yours, the preciousness that is yours, you're living in the affirmation and celebration of your existence as gift. Beautiful. Love it. That's the Father. That's creation. We move to the Son. The Son does what? The Son comes down. The Word is made flesh and is dwelt, dwelt among us. Why? 
not only to reveal who God is, but to reveal us to ourselves, namely, as ones who have betrayed the relationship with God and are now stuck in sin and need to be rescued from sin and its consequences, death and separation from God. So he enters into our condition and he lives the life that we ought to live. And he says, come into my being, come into my life, and I will elevate you into, I who have descended into your life, am inviting you to elevate into my life. But you have to be willing to go down into the depths of desperation, of your utter poverty, the utter brokenness of your condition and the inability you have to do anything about it. It's the Paschal mystery. It's going through passion and death, burial, in order to get to resurrection. But not just resurrection into new life, but sanctification. That's the gift of the Spirit. Okay, so we have Father, gift. We have Son, desperation. We have Spirit, cleansing, anointing, empowering, ultimately divinizing that we would share ever more freely, fully in God's life as his children. Okay, there's the flow of the life of faith. That's the flow, the blessed, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Guess where Advent is in the midst of all of this? I'm thinking. Where does it fall, right? Um, well, it's before Jesus came, so it's between the Father and the Son. I give up. Yeah, okay, so it's, it's just between creation and salvation. It's between creation and redemption. So Awaiting, God created us good, preparing, but we've become bad. God created us as a gift, but we're experiencing the curse. And so why does Advent happen when it happens? Advent is the beginning, not of the calendar year, but the beginning of the liturgical year. And it is mimicking the beginning of of all things. The beginning of all things is creation. So in the beginning, we have this creation. We're created by God and we're good. But as we live our lives, guess what happens in the calendar? When you enter into, when you begin Advent, you look outside, what do you notice? It's dark. Well, guess what happens? There's light, but it's, it's dark. You wait till tomorrow and what happens to tomorrow? getting darker. Well, guess what? It was beginning of Advent. It was cold. Well, the longer you go on, guess what happens? It gets colder. That's the experience of life. Unless you live in the other hemisphere. <laughs> I just have to throw that out there. Thank you. Thank it's you, questioner. <laughs> yes. Like the liturgical <laughs> year works in the only, northern, in the northern the hemisphere. Right part it does. It works world. in the northern hemisphere. Anyhow, no, but that, yeah, this is good. So it is actually interesting to see how it's getting darker so fast, and we're in Advent, and all of a sudden, Christmas lights, candles, you crave light in something that's not quite right. Like, what are we a looking pause. for? That's right. We're looking for something that will overcome the darkness. No cap. <laughs> That was good, dear. I like that. I learned from the best, you, Tom. You are, you're on that. Um, so things are dark and getting darker. Things are cold and getting colder. And what are we waiting for? There's something longing in us that says, wait a minute, life is a gift. Wait a minute, we're created by a good God. Wait a minute, there's something that we're supposed to be celebrating, but why is it getting so hard? And, and the answer is we need a Savior. Not just need a Savior, we're absolutely desperate for a savior. And so Advent is all about us 
recovering the insight, reawakening in ourselves this truth that we are desperately in need of a Savior who will bring light into our darkness, a light that will overcome the darkness. The darkness has no power over that light. We need a Savior. Now, Tom, does it make sense to you that the old church, whatever that's called, would fast during Advent? Yeah, the traditional Latin Mass uh, community and and the traditional missal, um, its way of relating to Advent, the tradition of these liturgical seasons, is that Advent was a season of penitence. Now, here's the thing. It's penitence for a slightly different reason than in Lent. Okay. Because now, remember, what is Lent? Lent is about joining with Christ in the desert who wants to bring people from slavery to freedom, from, um, from what's it called, from the, the reality of being in slavery through the desert where we're purified and cleansed of Egypt, and we prepare for the entering into the promised land. And so joining with Christ in the desert is all about ending up being missionaries, those who go forth on mission. Okay. So the way you can look at it is Advent is all about leading up to Christ. Lent is all about, Christmas is all about journeying with Christ and then, uh, or being with Christ, welcoming Christ who now lives in us, the whole epiphany, the whole baptism of Jesus, the feast of the Holy Family, all of those feasts. And then we have the entry of Christ into the desert where, you know what, we need to be immersed in Christ, baptism. We need to let him, in fact, um, uh, shape and mold our whole lives so that we then will be his witnesses into the world. So it's the journey of the Christian faith. So Advent is all about getting the foundation right. So why is the fasting different? Oh, sorry. The fasting is is here about giving us this sense of we are desperately in need of fulfillment that comes from above. If we are just freely enjoying ourselves, freely finding comfort and ease. <laughs> All of those things that make us make this season festive and enjoyable and celebrations. It's like saying creation's enough. Okay. The world as it currently exists is sufficient. That really makes sense. And and but if it's not, if it's fundamentally broken and in need of redemption, if it's in need of recreation, if by itself, creature, the fallen world of the creature leads to death and separation from God forever, that's a desperate situation. But if we don't realize it, and we're not willing to, here's the term, existentially place ourselves into the situation where we will concretely experience, you know what? I don't like the life I'm in right now. This life is hard, and it's going to get harder. Help, Lord, please come and be born into this situation. Please, Jesus, come and be born in us. We are desperate. That if we're not willing to um, let the Lord kind of like reveal that to us, will we ever, you know, accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior? Will we ever like come to realize, wow, you know what? I don't get to live my life with me at the center 
And my practice of my Catholic faith just sort of orbits around the edge of my life. It's something I'll do once a week and maybe a few practices I'll do in the course of a day. But I'm fundamentally living my own life, my own plan. And Lord, I'll let you be part of it. Hey, don't crowd in too much. Don't try to take over. Please, please, come on. Maybe, can, can we be partners? Can we be partners here, right? Like, uh, uh, can uh, I want to be the pilot. You Wait, can, we can't be partners? We have to go further? You can be all in. All in. So what does that mean? How would you language that? He's the head, you're the body. I'm the slave? <laughs> no, you're, you're the glove, he's the hand. So, <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, not sorry. Actually, that's good news. The good news is, is that he wants to live in you a life that you couldn't even imagine. And that's, and see, this is, I think, part of the reason why uh, Catholics and um, brothers and sisters who share the Christian faith, um, where we mix up Advent and Easter, uh, or Christmas and Easter. Really? Yeah. So uh, here's the mix-up. The mix-up is, right now, you and I already taste something of Easter, something of the risen life. I don't know if you think about that. But we actually, even now... Well, I live that. What do you mean by live that? You live that. I live that theological truth that Christ has come and died for me and has saved me and suffered for me, and so I am free. Existentially, do you know how that actually manifests itself in your heart, in your mind, in your emotions, in your outlook on things? That I'm not fearful of death. Not afraid of death. What else? How about how you live today? I, I'm not, Do you have I, a multiple choice? I know, really. How about this? I'll give you a few <laughs> What's words. The right Which words don't belong? Okay? okay. How about the word peace, joy, freedom? Guess what? Those three things don't live authentically or profoundly in someone who's not a child of God. There is. For the child of God, the child of not the creature of God, not the creature of God, not the creature of God, the child of God. What's the difference? So Baptism. what you mean is not the creature of God? Sorry. <laughs> I keep talking theology <laughs> here, dear. Sorry. I, I, I only... I, I'm seeing sorry. I shouldn't say I'm sorry. <laughs> Why do you Let say sorry? Explain. Let's let's talk let about explain. that. Let's okay. bring that to the therapist. Why do you keep saying I'm sorry? Are you are you It's <laughs> my way of saying, let me let me sum up. Okay. <laughs> Okay. We're born creatures of God. Baptism makes us children of God. Because baptism, remember, sacramental life, the sacraments, the Lord has assigned through his church this incredible gift of promising, promising to come into our lives and to communicate to our lives divine life, the very life of God, now invigorates, transforms, and elevates our very status where we're no longer merely living as creatures of God on this earth, but we've become elevated into an entire supernatural realm where we have concrete union. We have actual union with God who's divine infinite, eternal, perfect, life, love, truth, goodness, beauty, all of that, all of that divine life, holy, that God now transforms us into himself and elevates us beyond the created world. That has an impact 
on how we live day to day. And and the challenge is we're not aware of, of the difference. Back in a minute. All right. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnum with my lovely wife, Carrie. She's helping me today, dear. Thank you for helping me. I'm, I'm being fed. This is good. Oh, cool. Um, but here's the thing. Do we actually stop and think like, oh, as I wake up in the morning and I have a sense of peace, do I realize that that sense of peace is fundamentally connected to the fact that I'm in union with God, the fact that God's grace is active in me? I think I forget. So sometimes I don't have that peace and I am looking for it. And sometimes I forget what it means or what it is to not know the Lord. So I don't, re- you can't undo your conversion. I I believe I could fall away from God and just be in turmoil. And in those times where I've fallen away from the Lord or just chosen to say, I will not submit, I will not serve, I want to be the center of me. Um, and I know that in that whole process, I am rebelling to, towards the Father, um, that I just cannot not know that I'm choosing that. Yeah. However, am I going in the right direction here? You, you are. You I are. I don't know if this is so. But here, here, let's say it this way: sin darkens the intellect. That's one of the effects of sin. It darkens the intellect. It weakens the will. It disorders the passions, and it increases concupiscence. So when people just deny the their faith, and that I was reading this story today, I got caught up in a little, you know, web. Got caught up in the web. Caught up in the web. I love it. <laughs> Spun in the web. Um, she left her faith. And no longer, she was a Protestant, then became a Catholic, now left Catholicism to follow Buddhism and Zen, and I don't even know. But, um, and for her, this is all about freedom and understanding, you know, she doesn't have to intellectually or maybe morally in her mind try to fight God and fight the will and fight, like she just felt like she's always fighting to find truth. And now she just feels like this has been unburdened and left aside, and now she can just kind of be her own self. Actually, I don't even know. And so, <laughs> it's just so. Is she claiming that she's experiencing more freedom and peace as this sort of Eastern spirituality, New Age kind of person? It's Tom. This is rather a, than feeling bound up in the the Catholic faith she was so, living. Something yeah. like that. Well, it's a deconstruction. Ism, I think that's how they say it, uh-huh. where people that are in evangelical or fundamentalist or even Catholic homes, that they deconstruct in their whole... Do you, do yeah, can you so explain when that? When you say deconstructionism, I, I, I'm going to say a conversion of mindset. Yes. So a mindset is how right. you see. It's like, so when you look at the world, you, you're con- you have a sense that you're, you're conscious, right? Your conscious means you have this awareness that there is, is an objective reality around you and you're immersed in it. Okay, now you have to come up with a way of finding meaning. Like, how do I find meaning to all of this? Well, the structure of reality is such that my mind is made to come into cognitive contact with reality, and I'm able to draw forth from reality the idea, the form, the forms of the things around me, and I'm able to understand, oh, that's an icon, there's a crucifix, that's a light, this is a computer, as I'm pointing to those things around our office here. Um, but there's a layer of meaning. That's the layer of facticity, right? The, the factual identification of the things that are around me. But 
when I go up to a higher level, my consciousness then says, so what? Here are all of these things. What do all of these things mean? Like, let me try to understand the broader context for them. And now we get into a sense of a worldview, a way of looking at the whole of reality, not just this room, but the whole of reality, relationships, et cetera, et cetera. And then ultimately you have to say, well, now what? Okay, if that's what things are, and this is what things mean, what are in, what is entailed in those things being what they are and meaning what they mean for how I'm supposed to live right now? Okay, so deconstructionism says, this whole way of looking at things, this sense of I have an awareness, a conscious way of living in this world, is something very, very deep in me. And I'm not always aware that I'm operating on the basis of that foundation. So deconstructionism says, you know what, you need to stop, reflect on, try to step apart from your entire life, even the way you're looking at life, and become conscious of the fact that you're conscious. And try to become aware of the content of that consciousness in a way that says, oh, I can understand the framework by which I am actually living in this world. And then you could stop and say, is it serving me? Is this way of looking at things actually leading me to flourish? Or is it leading me into darkness? And I think this is where the rules, the restrictions, the confines of religion have caused a lot of these millennials to say, I don't feel free. I feel bound up. I feel like when I want to sleep with my boyfriend, and that's not part of, you know, that makes me feel constricted, or I don't feel like um, I'm free. And in my mind, it's because, and that's just, I'm just making this up, and I'm not really sure. I would think in my mind, it's because my religion has taught me that this is wrong. But is it really wrong? And so yeah. they kind of just fall apart in all sorts of moral areas. Right. And so the sadness is that um, for at least a percentage of these folks who talk like that, they are failing to properly use two of the most important faculties that their soul has been equipped with, the mind and the will. The mind is made to know the truth about reality, and the will is made to love the good that they discover in reality, to realize the good, to say yes to the good. And if you notice what you just said, you said they feel constrained because the idea that they would have imposed upon them this is what reality is. Your mind is meant to conform to that reality. You don't get to just choose what is real. So for instance, what is real about relationships and what will lead relationships to flourish? What is real about um, the meaning of life? Don't impose that upon me. I want to be able to decide for myself. It might be true for you, but it's not true for me. So that's relativism in the mind. Now what about the will? The will, I want to have options. For them, freedom means choice. And so if somehow I feel constrained, somehow you're limiting either my choice or other people's choices, that immediately leads me to a sense of being burdened or being enslaved. And that's dark. So when you have relativism being implanted in the mind and license or 
freedom as choice, as the fundamental way of recognizing the use of the will, then of course, religion, which comes from a Latin root that means to bind, it's binding me to God. And I did how not am know I, that. How am I going to be bound to God? Well, through the vows I make, through, through the sacrifices the that I perform, through the commandments that I follow. Guess what? The commandments are not prison bars. The commandments are guardrails. So when these people, and I've just heard this, when they end up coming from the Midwest or the South and they end up in Portland because they're like, this is the nirvana, this is this freedom, they get there and they totally fall apart because that culture is so unbound and so reckless and I don't even know, I don't have the right words, but they, they literally just lose all hope. And they so, just like throw in the towel and they go, what's the use? Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. Because it's so destructive. Well, and again, this is super simplistic, but it, it does name at least a thread of experience of many young people today. So many young people today, if they are coming from a more strict religious background, then all of a sudden they come to a place that says you're unbound and set free. All of a sudden they start doing things freely that lead them into bondage. So they're freely choosing they think, to choose to do things that they think will leave them free, but because it's not in accord with their authentic nature as human beings, guess what? Your human nature is going to react to that and say, you've freely chosen, literally, bondage for your will. So, and, and, and your mind, you think that you say, I can embrace whatever beliefs I want, Guess what? Embracing that belief leads you into darkness. And so when you have people who it are... It doesn't in, lead you to enlightenment? It does not lead you to... It does, <laughs> no. I'm just pushing... Uh, right. Enlightenment comes there. from conforming your mind to reality. Reality has a, a quality of light to it. And when you are properly disposed and your mind makes living contact with the world around you, you are enlightened. You are illumined. And you know what? You come into a deeper sense of clarity about things. It was so fascinating, right? So when I talked to you about talking with these guys on that online platform that is shut down years ago called Blab, these clever uh, uh, atheists would invite on simplistic, simple-minded Christians and they would slaughter them with their clever ways of presenting things. And, and then they would let me in and they would be one on four, right? And one on three. And then, um, and these guys, they could not, um, they could not overcome my simple statements to them, but it all came down to a very simple ground upon which everything else happened. And that simple ground was, why don't you believe in God when you look around at the world? And they said, there is no evidence. And I said, I look around at the world and all I see is evidence. Back in a minute. I'll continue to pick up on this theme. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carn. I'm with my wife, Carrie. Preach this it. kind of feels like a mon- uh, like a, a morning coffee talk. Oh, this is exactly what we talk about. Preach it, teach it, babe. No, Let's isn't go. this? I like this. <laughs> it's, well, it's, uh, no, actually, there are questions that I have like this because... I do have a, you have such deep faith and such strong faith. And so I do lean in on your intellect and your ability to explain things that help me to be 
like literally it's insight into my own life because when you read stuff and you hear testimonials about other people searching out faith and this one person was very influenced by Richard Rohr. Do you call him Father Richard Rohr? Or yeah, he was Richard? a Franciscan. I mean, maybe he still is. And so, you know, a lot of these kids, I say kids or millennials, are looking to him for spiritual guidance. They're leading, leaving the Baptist or the evangelical, and they still want spirituality, but they don't want to be bound up. Right, they want spirituality without religion. Yes. And, and, and here's the problem, is that all religion involves creed, code, cult, and a, a, an authority structure. All so, religion. Any belief system. So if you can say Woke, we're spiritual. Wokeism? Could that be? We're spiritual. Well, it, there's a certain there's certain creed, right? What's there's a certain set of beliefs. You're fully woke if you believe these following things. That's part of being woke. What right? does it mean to be cult? <laughs> so code is oh, no. You said code and pre- cult. Code cult. So I'm okay. getting there. I'm getting there. So code is what? That's the moral. That's the that's the set of uh, rules that you'd follow morally, and so doesn't matter what kind of spirituality you have, you're going to have a certain kind of belief about God. You're going to have a certain kind of set of moral rules, laws that you will follow. Cult is there'll be a certain way that you'll express your relationship with God in some form of ritual. Is that cult mean ritual then? What's Yeah, a cult. Cultus is a way of saying how do I express my relationship with God? Okay, so I was thinking for us, like it's the sacraments, <laughs> like a bad it's the cult mass. Thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, not not the bad meaning of, of cultists, some kind of well dark rituals, right? And then the last one is some authority that helps you understand why you believe what you believe, why you uh, why you follow certain moral rules that you follow, and why you why you um, uh, worship the way you worship. So a, a spiritual guide or a Authority, someone yeah. who's intellectually, philosophically right. clear yeah. thinking. Well, maybe not clear thinking, but any um, kind convincing. of new age person who says, I believe in relationships, but not religion, right? I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I'm like, great. So, I, can I come to your church? Yeah. Okay, when, when I come into your church, do you guys, what do you do week to week? Oh, well, we start with some songs, and then we have a reading from Scripture, and then we teach, and then after that, we pass a basket, and then we do a sign of peace. And I'm like, oh, that's your ritual. That's your religion. That's your that's your ritual practice. And I said, can I just jump up in the middle and say, I feel called by God to go speak a word? They said, no, 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 no. That is not the way that God works. Oh, so there's a certain moral code that you have about how people should be living, about things that, yeah, so yeah, that's true. Of course that's true. So you, so you have beliefs, you have a moral code, you have a, a ritual practice. Even if you don't think about it like that, you do. I said, who gets to decide these things? Oh, it's the word of God. What? Who's actually interpreting what the word of God's saying here? And they'll say, well, the word of God is interpreting it. I said, well, if you say that like all the other 30,000, you know, you're going to have like 60,000 other churches. The word of God is interpreting it. Yeah, yeah, well, that's what they'll say. Scripture interprets scripture, right? But I know you're right, but there's like 30,000 different. Yeah. And, so what they, and so what they say is, is that, you know, well, we don't have any of that. And I'm like, no, you actually have all of that. You're just not acknowledging it. You're not doing it as intentionally and as clearly as, guess what? The religion that Christ started. So I can remember, I told you, I... I had this conversation with this woman on a plane years ago. I was going to give a talk somewhere and sitting there. And um, 
introduced ourselves. She said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go give this talk. I'm a Catholic. And she said, oh, she said, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I said, oh, really? I said, can I ask you some questions? Sure, absolutely. I'm really open about all this stuff. I said, great. <laughs> She's very advanced. She's very, very enlightened. Very enlightened, <laughs> right. So, um, and so I said, um, I said, so, uh, so you have a belief in this God, right? Um, yes. And I said, does this God know you? Or do you know who this God is? And uh, I said, who is God? God is the spirit, right? And I said, oh, that's great. I said, kind of like, what does that mean, spirit? She said, well, kind of like energy, the energy behind the whole universe. I said, oh, wow. And I said, so does this, do you do you know who this God is? Do you have a, like a, a relationship with this God? She's like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, okay. I said, well, does this God know who you are? And what do you mean? Well, did this God create you intentionally? Does this God have a purpose and a plan for your life? And she says, well, I don't know. And I'm like, well, you know, is this something that you want to get more clarity about? She says, I don't want to talk to you anymore. (laughs) 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 So here's the thing is that it's a super comfortable and easy thing to say. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Basically saying, I don't want God to be a threat on my own choice to live the life I want to live. I want to live the life I I want to live the life that I want to live. But you could feel like if I'm Catholic, I have all these imposed restrictions by man, by the church, by the bishops, by the Pope. Pope Benedict, he said, you will. You will unless you have the encounter with Christ. Unless you have an encounter with the living God, an encounter with the living God that touches the heart, that goes to the very heart, where you know that the Lord is seeking you out, knocking on the door of your heart, wanting to come in, speak to your today, to your right now, allow him to come in, allow him to take over, allow him to move through you, allow him to become the center of your very life, the center of the meaning of your life. And you know what you'll begin to experience? Through the gifts of the sacraments, the very life of heaven here on earth. This is where we all come back around to. But if we don't get that, and we don't realize that this comes because of the living relationship with the living God that we have, that we're coming to actually experience some of the joy, the peace, the freedom that happens when we're children of God living in union with him. We'll just think it's, well, this is what life is. No, it's not. That is not life apart from Christ. So when we look around and we see people who are far from God, people who have left the church, left faith, never baptized, or people who have betrayed their faith, they are in darkness. They are living a life that is painfully desperate, painfully broken, dark in their minds, bound up in their wills, hearts that are confused and wounded, hurting and hurtful to others. And it's like, yeah, visibly, they're going to be very broken quite a bit, whether very sarcastic and mean, whether they're dark and harsh, whether they're close-minded and rigid. But can you... Let's say those, there are those people, but they're not like that. They're not rigid and closed-minded and harsh. Great. Let's, let's paint, They're enlightened and let's kind and generous, the and they are, help out of the kitten, the kitten-like little dog or orphan doggy shelter, whatever, <laughs> some animal place where there's lots of Carrie, cute, adorable yeah, pets. Let's, let's talk about someone who's very gifted and talented in ways that make that person, let's call him a guy, make that guy very successful in the world, and he he's taught to work hard and he works hard and he's been given a good brain, good connections and is able to, to do well financially, do well in uh, success in business, do, uh, you know, do well in front and the eyes of the world. This guy 
is like, wow, this guy's got it all. I mean, you have lots of those types of people on Instagram that have the little blue check mark uh, by okay, their name. So I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to say for 20 years, I've worked with those people. I've worked with CEOs in many companies. I've worked with high-placed executives in many companies. And these guys are wealthy, successful. They are powerful in the eyes of the world. They are making a difference. And I get behind closed doors with them and I'm talking with them and I'm look, talking about their lives. And you know what? They are miserable human beings. Miserable. Oh, everyone? No. <laughs> What's just her? I'm just wondering. You know what? Um, let me say that. I mean, can you nuance that a little bit? Because when yeah. you say they're all just miserable. No, no, no. That's they, kind of hard. Uh, what to... I want to say is that I, I can give you many examples of guys who looked from the outside to have all the check marks next to their name as what would lead to a happy, fulfilled life in this world. And when you get on the inside of their life, you know what they dis you discover? They have a hard relationship with their spouse. They're having struggles with their kids. They are overworked. They are that under so much like pressure. That sounds like you. Overworked, relationship with a wife, no, but, you, but uh, well, <laughs> Just joking. That's not like you. I could I could get burned out by putting too much emphasis on work for sure, but I I try to live a poured out life right so that's a difference that's very different I I'm like Lord Jesus live in me and Lord I'm willing to extend myself to do something great for you, so I try with all my might to let my life be poured out for godly purposes for purpose that will bring His kingdom that will manifest His kingdom in this world right that's different than a lot of these guys that ended up getting great success in monetary uh, position and wealth on the backs of their families, suffering. So I, I've seen that up close many, many times. I, I'm not sure I've even found one that I would say that person is living a model life that I would say I, I would strive to, to imitate. If, if, there are, if there are elements that I'd want to imitate in their lives, it was their faith. It was the degree to which they were surrendering and saying, I'm just trying to serve the Lord. The Lord's put all this in my hands. I just want to be a good steward of the company God's given me, of the family that God's given me, of the wealth. It's all His. It's all His. So you know what it is? It's all about the faith aspect of things. It's not about all those other things. So that's been my experience. And that's over 20 years of working with high-placed executives that, that are in those successful yes. places. You know what I've just done? I've pretty much eliminated my coaching practice. <laughs> no, they need Anybody you. Anybody who calls Tom. They need you, Oh, yeah, Tom. actually, yeah. You've if you're actually, a high-placed executive, you're struggling, excellent I will marketing help you. I will help pitch. <laughs> Talk about an unpitched pitch. All right. All right. God bless you guys.